just now? Yeah, it felt glorious. That's good. That's really good. Because you tried to turn it on and it didn't work, yes. right, at first? Yeah. We tried to turn it on over the weekend because um, it was 45 degrees in the house. Right. And I was like, we need to do something about this. Um, we've held out long enough. And then, yeah, we turned it on and nothing happened. Uh, and so we had to have the tech come out and he fixed it. And then it came on. It is unbelievable what 20 degrees in it, like what a difference <laughs> just 20 degrees in the house can make. It's, it's absolutely <laughs> insane. And like the, it's December. So like it's cold. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely cold. Freezing. Uh, yeah. So I'm happy about that. That's what happened to me this week. Um, how, I Christmased out my house. Uh, how are you feeling about it? <laughs> I love it. I feel very relaxed. Good. about it being done because now I can just enjoy it for a full month without having to like think about it again. Yeah. That's so great. And do you feel like because it's like right after your birthday, like it's like a little birthday gift to yourself? Absolutely. <laughs> it's absolutely like I always start doing Christmas things on my birthday yeah. because it's like my birthday is Christmas Eve. Yeah. Oh, that's so perfect. Christmas season Eve. Yeah. <laughs> But we're not here to talk about me. No, we're here to talk about her story. <laughs> On the rocks. With Katie. And Allie. This is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. We talk about good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have nuance. But keep in mind, we are drinking the entire time. And we are not historians. <laughs> we are uh, drinkers at best. Friends that are drinking. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And incoherent at worst. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and somewhere in the middle, decent Googlers? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. We know how to find some stuff. We know how to look at the end of the Wikipedia page and right. see if we can find, like, a better source. Click on the link to the next article. Yeah. It's wonderful. Exactly. <laughs> but you're busy hanging your trimmings and trappings. Yes. Your tinseling, your tree, your lighting, your candles. <laughs> be they regular or Hanukkah. Right. I know it's not Hanukkah yet, but I, I think it is when they're listening to this. Oh, perfect. It's, I think it starts the Sunday after Thanksgiving. I love it. Yeah. So you're busy. So you don't have time to get out your phone or your computer and look up what these women look like. So we're going to describe them for you. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you doing and what does she look like? I am doing Angela Davis, who's yes. a big banger. Yeah. Uh, she is a five foot eight inch African American woman with a slender build. She has black hair that she wears naturally. Now it's gray, but originally it was black. And when she was younger, it was a very traditional, like, Afro style. Uh -huh. Now it's a little bit longer and, like, bouncier, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, she has light brown skin complexion, and in her younger years, she wore a lot of black and a lot of turtlenecks. Mm -hmm. Now she has glasses and wears sweaters and scarves. But regardless of what she's wearing, you can almost always find her at, like, um, a stand in the front of an audience, at a microphone, at a rally, and usually with a look of grave indignance on her face. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> That's what Angela Davis looks like. Uh, so I am doing Annie Jump Cannon. 
Uh, she is a white woman living in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So she could typically be seen with her light colored hair. I don't know exactly what color it was just because, you know, black and all, white all the photos are black and white, but it looked lighter. Um, pulled up into a Gibson girl style bun on the top of her head. Uh, it was the norm, um, but it was also probably good for keeping the hair out of her eyes while she's doing science. Science. Uh, <laughs> Uh, she had rounded features with small eyes, and in the most famous photo of her, she is seen from the side wearing this, like, beautiful lacy dress. But in my actual favorite, like, kind of blurry photo of her, she's just kind of wearing, like, a long skirt with a sweater, and she is standing under what I believe to be a giant telescope, probably photographing stars. And I feel like that's probably what she looked like on a normal day-to-day basis <laughs> right it's like you know how like there's these adorable catalog pictures of like people having breakfast mm-hmm. and you're like nobody looks like that having breakfast no and that's why i kind of like that there is this picture of her because when you were going to get your photograph taken or something in like fancy. the 1800s like you wore your best and like she was working all the time so like that's probably wasn't what she was wearing a lot right. so so yeah so i like that photo of her so cool. Um, are you ready to find out what you're drinking? I am. What is it? Okay, so this is called Bold Justice. Okay. And it's a take on a black martini. And typically a black martini has black raspberry liqueur and vodka and lemon juice. But I wanted to switch it a little bit because I feel like that's too traditional Mm -hmm. for Angela Davis. So I put in an ounce and a half of black raspberry liqueur and then one ounce of vodka and then like a splash or like half an ounce is of lemon juice instead of lime juice and it's on the rocks a traditional black martini is not on the rocks and it's a bit of a darker color so i found this to be kind of interesting i love it cheers cheers Mm, it's delicious it really is i really like it the brandy is nice yes it is makes it smooth Mm -hmm. yeah it just like i wouldn't be able to tell you what was in this and I definitely wouldn't be able to tell you that there's vodka in this. No, you can't taste it at all. <laughs> mm. I put an ounce of vodka in each one. That's weird. And it's funny because I can't even really, like, usually when lemon juice is in something, that kind of overpowers it. But right. I really can't even tell there's lemon juice yeah, in it. Yeah, the citrus is not too strong. It's delightful. So, good. I'm glad. This is great. Good, good, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, tell me what you know about Angela Davis. Okay, so I know that she was an activist. I believe she was in the Black Panthers. Um, But I feel like her main work was kind of early on saying that we need to look at gender, race, and class all together. Like, I think I'm pretty positive she wrote a book called, like, Race, Class, and Gender. (laughs) And she was one of the big early proponents of, like, it's not just one thing. We have to look at, like, all of it and how it works together. Um... And that's pretty much like all I know is that she was an activist. Yeah, <laughs> she. I mean, she was and she and a writer, a writer. Yeah, yeah, because she was a scholar, so yeah. like she's an academic. So like mm-hmm. she wrote so many books. There mm-hmm. are so many books written about her. There are mm-hmm. so many movies written about her. So like to not sound like I'm doing a bulleted list of things, yeah. I'm gonna group a lot of things together because okay. um, she's just put so much knowledge into the world, specifically like philosophical cross-sectional ideas of like what's going on with our society. So I did my best, but also I really want to say there's a lot of 
things in this world I don't understand, and she is so much smarter than me. Yeah, <laughs> it's really, really a little hard to do some of the research. So I watched a couple documentaries about her and certain times in her life on YouTube, and I did a lot of reading, like on biography sites and like Wikipedia online. I didn't read any of like her autobiographies because it was just, oh, we have a week to prepare. There's not enough time. And I was decorating for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) And it was your birthday week. But I also think like there doesn't seem to be an autobiography that encompasses everything because she wrote one when she was really younger. She's written a ton of books. And I was like, I feel like I'm just going to not get the information I want. And it's going to be a massive um, waste of time. Yeah. <laughs> so, here we go. <laughs> Angela was born on January 26, 1944 in Birmingham, Alabama, which harkens back to two weeks ago. Yeah, really? I didn't know that she was born in the South. Yes. And her family lived on Dynamite Hill, which was the nickname for the 1950s <gasps> area where houses were bombed oh to intimidate middle-class black families who were trying to live there. Ugh. So that's crazy. I mean, right from the beginning of her life, she's feeling targeted yeah. because of being a black woman and living within a black family. She had three siblings, two brothers and one sister. Angela attended Carrie A. Tuggle School, which was a segregated black school, and later a middle school that was like a branch of this high school in Birmingham. But she's pretty segregated because, as we said two weeks ago, Birmingham is the most segregated city in the United States at Mm -hmm. this time. Her mother, Sally Bell Davis, was an organizer and an officer for the Southern Negro Youth Congress. And this was an organization that was heavily influenced by the Communist Party. So there were a lot of, like, leading figures coming in and out of Angela's house when she was a kid. And they significantly influenced her development as a child and her political belief systems. So Angela was involved in her church youth group as a kid and attended Sunday school regularly, but she attributes much of her belief in politics and actually getting involved in things with the Girl Scouts. (gasps) Really? Yeah. She says being a part of the Girl Scouts was like, I would get up and I would go to these events and I would do like in 1959, she went to the national roundup for the Girl Scouts and she would go to protests with them in Mm. Birmingham. And at this time in Birmingham, the Girl Scouts would have been segregated still. So, um, and I think we, on our Instagram not too long ago, posted about the African-American woman who started the black chapter Mm -hmm. of the Girl Scouts. Um, But by her junior year in high school, it was pretty obvious that she was really, really intelligent. Mm. So she was accepted by an American Friends Service Committee, which was a Quaker program, which the Quakers mm. are so cool. They're, Every time we bring them up, we like should do a whole, good thing. Right, a whole bonus episode just on the Quakers. <gasps> yes. If you want us to do a Patreon episode about the Quakers, let us know. We have to do a lot of research because yeah. they've been so good. I just feel like every time they come up it's always like they're ahead of the curve or doing something good they're on the right side of history every time so i mean if you guys know of some place where they weren't let us know Mm -hmm. (laughs) but from what it seems yeah everybody the quakers are like giving money to the right people yeah i'm telling you if i had a kid i would want them to go to the friends quaker school here oh yeah it's such a good school yeah it really is yeah So um, this program placed black students from the South into integrated schools in the North. Hmm. 
And remember, like, Sojourner Truth was taken in by a Quaker family. Yeah. Like, obviously, that's several years prior to this. But I just find it really interesting that they're like, we know there are these kids in the South that are being treated horribly. Let's get some of them out of there. Which, like, is not something you should have to say about your own country. No. Like, let's move them across state borders so Mm -hmm. that they can exist peacefully. Mm. So... In the north, she goes to Elizabeth Irwin High School in Greenwich Village. There, she was officially recruited into a communist youth group called Advance. And communist has such a hard, like, edge on our tongues, like, in the United States. So, I feel like it's when we talked about Grace Lee Boggs, we have to think about this as, as, like, not communism in the sense that we see communist dictatorships yeah but communism as opposed to the democracy that is oppressing people of color and women and gay people and like you know what i mean i almost want to call it communityism rather than communism you know what i'm saying because i feel like that's the base that they're trying to get at right like grassroots community-based like activism programs like you know what i'm saying yeah a lot of them in like social reform programs now she definitely angela goes on to like be in contact with a lot of like not so great people so like i i think she was very intrigued by the philosophy of communism yeah and enjoyed learning about why it did and did not work in some Mm -hmm. places you know what i mean so she's just such an intellectual person so She's up there going to high school. She gets awarded a scholarship to a university in Massachusetts. She was one of only three black students in her class there. There she encountered a Frankfurt School philosopher, Herbert Marcus. And I think that's how you say his name. If you're a philosophy major, please correct me. (laughs) This was during a rally about the Cuban Missile Crisis because she's very anti-Vietnamese war that's going on. Like, Mm -hmm. she's very involved in, like, the politics of the day. And she says that this professor taught her that it was possible to be an academic, to be an activist, to be a scholar, and to be a revolutionary. And I find that really interesting because I do find it really fun when I see academics on Twitter that are also just, like, fuck the patriarchy you know i'm like (laughs) that's really interesting to me because i was always kind of brought up when like this is your professional atmosphere and this is how you act and this is how you dress and like it makes me bite my tongue a lot with things that it's like why am i holding back when i could just say what i think yeah absolutely i feel like the um professional environment is really expanding it now you know like i think about our friend joey fitzpatrick who's Mm -hmm. a skateboarder but he also like has like a really fancy job and like what is it health insurance health care something for like the government yeah and like he's like yeah i have super long hair and i put it in a ponytail and i walk in there and people don't take me seriously and then i school them on their job and i call them out on their bullshit you know so you have to be smart i guess to do it run my mouth and people would be like can you give me the statistics on that and i'd be like no no i cannot (laughs) i can tap dance though didn't do my research (laughs) i wikipedia did this is what i found um okay so during her time here at the university she worked part-time to earn money because she wanted to travel to france and to switzerland Ah. so she's making all this money she's going to europe she attends the eighth 
World Festival of Youth and Students. And when she gets home off the plane, she is confronted by the FBI <gasps> for her involvement in this communist-sponsored festival. <laughs> Because we're, like, getting to red scare times. Like, yeah. we're not quite there yet, but we're on our way. During her second year in college, she decides she was going to major in French. So. Interesting choice. Yeah. Very interesting choice. I guess, like, after you start to travel worldwide, French is such a widely spoken language. Mm-hmm. And I think she just wanted to be able to communicate with people in Europe yeah. at a higher degree, which makes sense to me. Yeah. So. But she's also continuing her intensive study of philosophy. She was accepted at this time by the Hamilton College Junior Year in France program. So she's going to go study abroad. In Paris, she and other students lived with a French family. While in France, she learned of the 1963 Birmingham church bombing (gasps) by the KKK. She didn't know? Well, it oh, was I'm sorry. Just, it's happening yes. then. <laughs> yeah, as it was. Sorry, happening. I was in the future. Yes, um, right now she knows. But back yeah. then, <laughs> it was know. literally happening. Right. Okay. She finds out about it, which it's her neighborhood. Yeah. Her mom knows these people. <gasps> her little sister is friends with these girls. Oh my god. So like, it's I. I don't necessarily know if it's the church youth group she was involved with, but you know how like. A lot of city neighborhoods have, like, a church on every corner. Yeah. This is, like, a church nearby the house where she grew up. Oh, my God. And she is just mortified. She's grieving. Her mom is, like, going over to the mother's houses. She said specifically Carol. Mm -hmm. Um, Her sister knew really well, and her mom went over and, like, tried to help comfort the family. I mean, (sighs) cannot believe we did that episode two weeks ago. And I'm also, like, glad we did it before Angela Davis. So, right. like, you really get the weight of it because it's – the whole situation is just so horrific. And to then really understand how it could really, like, shape someone and their beliefs. And right. I don't know. That's crazy. And I was listening to an interview with her, and she was like, you know, a lot of times people ask me, why did you want to be an activist? And I say – because of what happened in Birmingham or like I try to pinpoint it, but she's like, I was active before that. I was going to like rallies about the Cuban missile crisis. Mm -hmm. It's like, that's just something that like cements in my mind. Like that's my neighborhood that you're blowing up. Yeah. It's well, it's the whole um, kind of thing of like, it's when like the political really hits that personal note. Right. And you're like, okay, I know that I'm doing this on a big scale, but like now I'm doing it like for For me me. and my community. Right. So very different. Yeah. So while completing her degree in France, she realized that her biggest area of interest is in philosophy. So while she's in France, she makes plans to attend the University of Frankfurt in Germany for graduate philosophy work. And remember, Germany at this point is still like East Berlin, West Berlin, only 20 years after World War II. Um, she graduated with her bachelor's magnum cum laude and, uh, was a member of Phi Beta Kappa in Germany with the monthly stipend of $100. She lived first with a German family and later with a group of students in a loft in an old factory. She ended up visiting East Berlin several times. And one of them was on the annual May Day celebration. And she really felt that East Berlin was dealing with the residual effects of fascism better than West Berlin, hmm. which like it didn't give a lot of background on that, but it was just like she felt really at ease in East Berlin. 
many of her roommates were also active in the radical socialist German student union. Mm-hmm. And Germany really dealt with the backlash of World War II so well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the Berlin Wall situation was not great, mm-hmm. but like in terms of like getting it in textbooks, talking about it, trying to really hammer down not doing that again. Yeah, well, I feel like the the phrase that I heard when I was studying about it was like, everyone adopted the principle, like, never again. Mm-hmm. Like, that was said all the time. It was posted everywhere. Like, it was like, we did that. And we know, like, you know, we don't even do that with, like, slavery. Right. <laughs> Here in the U.S., it's like, what? We didn't do that. And it's We're like, told not to talk yes, about it now. Like, like, we don't want that in our curriculum. Right. <laughs> It's like, I do, I, I remember learning about that and how they just kind of like looked at it and were like, yeah, we have to deal with this. We have to deal with it now. Like, right. Is it's important. Yeah. It's like <laughs> when the only way that like people are prosecuted for killing a black man is because it's on video. Right. It's like, we know enough about World War II that people were like, or the Holocaust that they were like, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll load we up. Have to, we yeah. have to own up to it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so... Events in the U.S. while she's in Germany, including the formation of the Black Panther Party, drew her interest and her attention. And she's like, I'm going to go back to the U.S. for a bit. Angela's professor, Marcus, or Marcus, uh, had moved to a position at the University of California. And after her two years in Frankfurt, she did the same. She also traveled to London to attend a conference, the Dialectic of Liberation. All the conferences she goes to sound like this. <laughs> the black contingents of this conference had, like, a lot of really big thinkers, but she felt like they weren't thinking big enough and that they thought communism was, like, a white man's thing. So she joined an all-black branch of the Communist Party and earned her master's at the University of California and then her doctorate in philosophy in East Berlin. Hmm. So I didn't know that she was, like, a like an academic to that level no i didn't either nobody ever refers to her as dr angela davis yeah uh, i wonder why maybe like she doesn't like that moniker i don't know yeah but like that's really interesting it is i've never even heard that about her no i've never heard someone once call her dr davis (laughs) yeah so in 1969 she begins acting as an assistant professor in the philosophy department of the university of california in la Although many other colleges, including Princeton, had tried to recruit her, she wanted to be at UCLA. During this time, she was known as a radical feminist and an activist, a member of the Communist Party, and an affiliate of the L.A. chapter of the Black Panthers. And if I did not just list three things that every white person in this country is uncomfortable with, (laughs) then I don't know what I did. Because she, she is seen as like, way too far extreme for a lot of people yeah so the university of california initiated a policy in the late 60s against hiring communists so the board just up and fires Mm. angela from the staff oh my god she loses this is like up in the red scare territory she loses her position where she's making ten thousand dollars a year uh because she is a member of the communist party this was encouraged by then California Governor uh, Ronald Reagan, but a judge ordered that they could not fire her simply because of her affiliation with the Communist Party. So they rehire her, and then they 
fire her again because she's using inflammatory language in some of her speeches. I love saying that. <laughs> she's being too <laughs> radical. It doesn't align with us. Yeah, so, she's not sugarcoating enough. I mean, like. she <laughs> she called out people for murdering demonstrators. Like, she called it murder. Yeah. And they were like, that's not okay. That's like in the fucking Kyle Rittenhouse case. Yeah. Like, well, you can't call the victims victims. You're like, you're literally not. They weren't allowed to use that term in the trial. Right. Like, you're only allowed to refer to them as, like, arsonists or looters or whatever. Yeah. It's like, it's so fucked up. Right. Like. <laughs> <sighs> the verbiage right and you know that plays on the minds of the jury it does. The, like it that's why that's does. why people make those distinctions yeah Ugh. okay so angela was a supporter this is where we're gonna get into a hard part of her life she was an supporter of the soledad brothers or soldad brothers i couldn't like I don't know enough about this case, but apparently there's these three inmates in the Soledad prison, which is in California, and they were convicted of killing a prison guard. Mm -hmm. So there's these three guys in here. She is a very, very anti-prison, and we'll talk about that later. Like, Mm -hmm. prison reform is high on her list of things. So she had been writing letters back and forth with these three inmates. On August 7th, 1970, a heavily armed African-American high school student, Jonathan Jackson, whose brother was one of these guys in jail, Uh gained control of the courtroom where they're being tried. And he comes in armed and gives the black defendants guns. (gasps) So now him and the guys who were in prison that she had been writing letters to all have guns. In the courtroom. In the courtroom. They take the judge, the prosecutor, and three female jurors hostage. And Jackson transports them and the defendants away from the courtroom. And one of them shot at the police, so the police start to return fire. The judge and three black men were killed in the melee. One of the jurors and the prosecutor were injured. The judge was shot in the head and the chest, and many believe that the fatal shot came from outside of the van, so probably from the police. Angela had allegedly purchased and owned these firearms. Oh, my God. Before Jackson used them in the attack. So they had been purchased at a pawn shop in San Francisco during the incident. I don't know how much proof there is that she purchased them. There's a lot of talk that it was set up because people were trying to get rid of her because of the communist black Panther feminist thing. Yeah. Um, she was also, while they're researching this, found out about all the letters that she had been writing to these people in prison, but that's also not uncommon because she wrote to people in prison. Right. She wrote to lots of people. Right. Because that's her thing. Prison reform in California at the time. And remember Ronald Reagan already wants all the communists fired and he's the governor. In California at the time, all persons involved in a crime, no matter if it was direct or aid in any way, is guilty of the crime committed. Whoa. So she, Angela Davis, was charged for kidnapping and first-degree murder. (gasps) She was not there that day. Wasn't there. Was not in the courtroom. Was not in the van. She was charged with first-degree murder. Whoa. A warrant goes out for her arrest, and there's a massive attempt to find her. 
10 days after the warrant is issued, the FBI director, J. Edgar Hoover, lists Davis on the FBI 10 most <gasps> wanted fugitive list. Oh, my God. She was only the third woman ever to be put on that list. Holy shit. Angela's a fugitive. She fled California. According to her autobiography, during this time, she hid with friends and in their homes and moved every single night. October 13th, 1970, the FBI agents found her in a lodge in New York. Oh. Nixon congratulated the FBI for their capture of this dangerous terrorist, Angela Davis. Oh, my God. Who was never there. Yeah. On, in January of 1971, she appeared in court in California and declared herself innocent of all charges which had been leveled against her by the state of California. She had an attorney who had done counsel for Communist Party members in the past, and he represented her in this alleged shooting that she was not at. While on trial, she was held in a woman's detention center where she was segregated from other prisoners in solitary confinement because of her danger. <laughs> Oh, my God. That's ridiculous. And her legal team had to, like, fight to get her out of this segregated, like, solitary confinement. Well, because you know that they only wanted her in there because it, she knew a lot more about these people's rights than they probably did. Yeah. And they're like, we don't want her spreading ideas don't want her that talking these, to these inmates <laughs> have rights and they're human. Like, right. So across the nation, thousands of people start organizing a movement for her release. In New York City, a committee called Black People in Defense of Angela Davis was organized. And by February of 1971, more than 200 local communities in the U.S. and 67 in foreign countries were working to get her freed from prison. Wow. Everybody's like, no, she wasn't there. You can't charge her with murder. No, absolutely not. And murder and kidnapping, those are serious charges. Yeah, I mean, if you want to charge her for, like, illegally buying far firearms or for right. illegally giving somebody firearms, like, fine. Whatever, but... Like, I don't even know what the proof is or if the proof exists that she did that, but right. if that's what you want to charge her with, fine. But not murder and kidnapping. She no, didn't do that. definitely not. So... I mean, even at that point, John Lennon and Yoko Ono wrote a song about it to try to really, yeah, called Angela to oh try to God. get her out of prison. Like everybody wants to get her out. So in 1972, this guy named Roger Roger McAfee is a dairy farmer in California, and he paid her hundred thousand dollar bail <gasps> to get her out of jail. Holy shit! And the United Presbyterian Church paid a lot of her legal fees for her defense team. Look at the Presbyterian Look Church. Look at that, the Presbyterian. Look at that. Nice. Wow, that's Good exciting. <laughs> They're trying to get her out. A defense motion for a change of menu venue was granted so they're not going to try her in the city where it happened that's great so you can get jurors that weren't involved uh-huh um so it's moved to a different city in california on june 4th 1972 after 13 hours of deliberation an all white jury returned a verdict of not <gasps> guilty wow can you believe that no i can't that could go so the wrong way. Yeah. I mean, I was even nervous in the Ahmaud Arbery case this week. It was literally just decided today that they were guilty. Mm -hmm. um, I was really nervous because there was only one black person on the jury. Yeah. It's like, that does not bode well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't. So I'm shocked. That's, I mean, that means, you know, they literally had nothing. So this was all for fucking nothing. Right. Which is so insane. Yeah, if they have not... I mean, they were trying to get rid of her. Yeah. The government. Yeah. So, 
the fact that she owned guns, the jury said, is not an, it's like insufficient evidence to prove that she had any role in this plot. Yeah. She was represented by Leo Branton Jr., who hired psychologists to help the defense determine who in the jury pool might favor their arguments. This technique is now super common, and it's why they do, like, psychological tests and ask certain questions in juries because of this Angela Davis case. What? I had no idea. I didn't know that either. I thought they just kind of always did that. Like, you want to get the people on your team that, like, know what they're doing. Okay. Also, he hired experts to discredit the reliability of eyewitness accounts, which (gasps) eyewitness accounts are the worst accounts. Yeah. Yeah, they're super flawed. Exactly. After her acquittal, Angela went on an international speaking tour. So in 1972, her tour is all over. It includes Cuba, which she had previously visited. And, of course, she's received by... Fidel Castro. Castro. <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, this is what I mean. Like, she understood communism in a really philosophical way, but I think it made her turn a blind eye to, like, yeah, the fascism that was happening in a lot of places. Yeah. And that's hard for me to say because she is so intelligent, so I don't know what she was thinking. Like, yeah. I would love to learn more about why she's making these decisions. Anyway... There are several Americans who actually visited or permanently relocated to Cuba after being in prison in the United States during the Red Scare. So Cuba was like a famous place for Americans to go. Mm-hmm. So I think Castro was even like a buddy buddying up with like the quote unquote refugee Americans yeah. kind of. Her reception by the Afro-Cuban community was apparently so enthusiastic that she got choked up and could barely speak to the wow. crowd. She perceived Cuba as a racism-free country, which led her to believe that only under socialism could the fight against racism be successfully executed. So things like in a socialist government, we would have free health care, which means yeah. you can't turn people away because of their, the color of their skin, mm-hmm. right? So she's looking at it in that way. Then she, she goes back to Cuba a couple times. She's in and out. It's crazy. She also went to the Soviet Union during this time. Okay. And the CIA is like, please stop doing this. Yeah. We really, <laughs> really don't want to put you on trial again. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. In the Soviet Union, she was honored with an honorary doctorate degree from the Moscow State University. She was awarded with a Lenin Peace Prize. Like, they love her in the Soviet Union. Then she toggles on over to East Germany, and the government is like, yay! They organize a campaign on her behalf. <laughs> she received an honorary degree from the University of Leipzig in Germany. She delivered a speech at the Berlin Wall in September of 1972, and then she returns to the World Festival of Youth and Students, which is that communist-led organization. In the mid-1970s, she becomes in contact and support with a little guy named Jim Jones. (gasps) (laughs) You know what? I actually knew that because I just listened to the last podcast, Jonestown series, again, like a couple weeks ago. Crazy, right? I mean... She was like, oh, my gosh, people of all races are together here. I love this idea. It's so anti-racist. And the thing, okay, and I will say, in the beginning, it really was. Right. Like, I, 
<laughs> not to defend Jim Jones at all. What a fucking monster. <laughs> but in the beginning, like, he really did help people. Like, his whole thing, like, so, like, there was, like a, like, a woman who came into his place one day and was like, my power was turned off, and I can't get the city to turn it back on, even though, like, I've paid my bills and whatever. And so he's like, okay. And he organized this huge letter-writing campaign, and, like, everyone in the church wrote letters and got this lady's power turned on within, like, a couple of, like, a couple of days, right. you know? And it was like, so I do understand, again, it's so hard looking back now, but when Angela Davis knew Jim Jones, like he wasn't the worst person in the world quite yet. Right. He, had, <laughs> he had not conducted the worst murder suicide of all time. Yeah. Yet. And let's be clear. That was totally murder. Right. Like that, like th- those people did not think they like, and there were a lot of people with injection marks. Like, they were literally injecting them with the poison. Oh, I mean, J- me and um, producer watched a thing about it, and they were, like, people who wanted to leave. They yeah. were like, we don't want to be here. It was, no. like, entrapment. Yeah. Terrible. Oh, gosh. Okay. I, would, I mean, if that were under our umbrella, I would love to talk about it forever. <laughs> but we – literally not. So, yeah. um, so she is, like – speaking with him from san francisco via like radio phone and she's like i'm just so happy with what you're doing like bringing all these people together that's really uncomfortable 14 months later the murder happened oh my gosh it was only 14 months later okay so he was a bad person at that time yeah yeah, yeah. i think she was just i mean she was also (laughs) hanging out in the soviet union and with fidel castro so yeah and she also like wasn't couldn't have possibly been there to like see what was going on in the church too right because he was also full on into his like <laughs> just full on into a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah, he was a nut. Yeah. Um so then this guy in Russia gives this speech and he's like Angela Davis, who's so into prison rights, is like failing to support these prisoners that we have here that we want to get out of prison. She's putting all of her efforts into the U.S. prison system, which, okay, she's one fucking person. Okay. I hate that. I have that issue with a lot of things. Yes. Like, I see that a lot. It's when, a whataboutism. Exactly. When, like, you know, like a celebrity will post something like, hey, like, you know, we should do something about this problem. They're like, well, what about this problem? And like, yeah, I want that to be fixed, too, but I'm talking about this problem right now. Right. Like, <laughs> Right. You know, it's like, like just because I want universal health care doesn't mean I don't want to also solve world hunger. Right. Like, those yeah. are two separate things. <laughs> like, I can really actually only focus my attention on one thing at a time. Thank you. As you sit on your couch and tweet. Right. Exactly. Like, I don't care. I don't <laughs> care. So then this group of like Czech prisoners want her help. And there's these prisoners in the USSR that want her help. And she's like, Part of it is I have to refuse because they're not political prisoners. Like, I was a political prisoner. Yeah. Like, I was arrested for, like, X, Y, Z. And, like, not everybody is. Like, I can't get everyone out of jail. I don't know what you want me to do. That would be mayhem. Right. (laughs) So, later, Angela was a lecturer at um, a black studies center at Claremont. Attendance for the course she taught was limited to 26 students of the 5,000 kids on campus, and she was forced to teach in secret because the benefactors didn't want the students to be indoctrinated. So she's still a college professor, but the board of trustees is like only come on Friday nights and Saturday (laughs) when there's not a lot of people, and then 
all the students were sworn to secrecy. They couldn't oh say my God. that their professor was Angela, da- Dr. Angela Davis. The cloak and dagger of this is beyond. It's that's insane. Ridiculous. But they want her to teach there, but they don't want anyone to know that she teaches yeah. there. I also don't even know if that's the right use of the term cloak and dagger. I think it but is. But I'm going to use yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll do whatever we want. Yeah. This is our show. <laughs> I think I just accidentally defended Jim Jones for like a hot second. No, that's you fine. did not. Okay. I hope it didn't come across that no, way. No, no, no. Now I'm like panicked. And no. Really like they love Jim Jones. You were saying that there were like things he did publicly that looked really great. So of course people are going to be like, oh my God, that's amazing. I just want to like, cause like one of the things that bothers me about like cults is like people think like I'm too smart to join a cult and like you're never too smart to join a fucking cult. They're so charismatic. Yeah. And like, I just think this is a perfect example like of like Angela Davis is one of the smartest people. Right. (laughs) Well, also not that she joined, but she like was lured in by him. Yeah. And I also think I was almost going to say it earlier and then didn't like Angela Davis was being charged for a murder that she didn't actually do, Uh Um, which is what happened in that in that same decade to Charles Manson. He did not kill those people. He convinced people to kill those people. So like there is a charismatic attitude where it's like, it was hard to get charles manson behind bars because yeah. he wasn't there he didn't wield yeah. the dagger mm-hmm. so it is really interesting that yeah. it's like she also wasn't there and didn't have the gun yeah but do we know exactly i don't know i don't know what happened yeah that's very interesting it i is. also never made that i would yeah hmm it's an okay. odd connection. Okay. Now, it's not that Charles Manson did not kill people, but... <laughs> also, was, we're not saying Charles Manson was a good person yeah, again. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> But the things he was being... The people he was being tried for killing, it was like the Bugliosis and the Tate House murders. Yeah. He was not present. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what he's in jail for. Yeah. And he wasn't present. So, yeah. it's very interesting. Very Just a little side note, because it was the 60s in California. That's, I mean, okay. So, <laughs> Angela taught a women's studies course at San Francisco Art Institute in 1978 and was a professor of ethnic studies in the early 80s. She accepted um, the Communist Party USA nomination for vice president as Gus Hall's running mate in the 1980 and 1984 election. They received 0.02% of the vote. <laughs> there we go. So, but she was a candidate for vice president. That's pretty twice. cool. That is cool. Um, from 1980 to 1983, she was married to this guy named Hilton. In 1991, she left the Communist Party, um, founding a committee for the correspondence for democracy and socialism. So I think she's trying to move away from full communism to democratic right. socialism. And this okay. is in 1991. That's when the Soviet Union falls apart. Okay. So I think she's like, okay, Berlin Wall down. That's 1989. Soviet Union's falling apart. Like, I can see the flaws in communism. Right. So she's changing her tune, which is important. You're allowed to say you're wrong. Well, and again, like, Jonestown just happened too, which was like a huge failed communist idea. Right. Like, that was what, like, I feel like Jonestown is always seen as like a religion, but it was really more of like a, uh, like a government, like like an they, ideology. Yeah, like their god wasn't Jim Jones. Their right. god, like it was in a sense, but it was more of communism. That's what right. they wanted. So she's got all these failures back to back to back, and yeah. she's like, okay, maybe this isn't the best thing. So she's like breaking with the Communist Party, and she's like trying to 
there was this coup that was happening in the Soviet Union, and she's just like, I don't want to be a part of that. Like, I'm done. In 1997, she is now divorced from Hilton. She comes out as a lesbian in an interview with Out Magazine. In the 90s and early 2000s, she was a professor of feminist studies and the history of consciousness at the University of California, Santa Cruz, and at Rutgers University. She's also been a distinguished visiting professor at colleges like Syracuse and Vassar. In, 19, or in 2014, she was still in conversations with the Communist Party but wouldn't rejoin. And in the past three presidential elections, she's supported the Democratic candidates, um, throwing her support behind Barack Obama, then Hillary Clinton, and then Joe Biden. In recent years, she has been a major figure in prison, like the prison abolition movement almost, like to abolish prisons completely, comparing the modern prison system to slavery in the United States and pointing out the disproportionate share of African-American population that are incarcerated. And if you've ever watched the documentary, the 16th or the 16th Amendment one, it's so mm -hmm. good. And it's about that, how the prison system is made to entrap specifically young black men. Mm -hmm. And that that amendment helped us as a country get rid of the people we didn't want yeah. to deal with. So that's her big talking point now. In recent years, she's been um, moving around as a speaker in very cross-sectional ways. Like, she started just talking about the Vietnamese War, then about sexism, then about racism, then about prison, then about gay rights, then about the social justice movement. So like you said, her books are also cross-sectional because they're she is a cross-sectional person. Mm -hmm. Like, she is a gay black woman. Mm -hmm. So she has so many things to think about and to worry about at living in this world. She spoke out very seriously in 2005 about Hurricane Katrina, saying that the horrendous situation in New Orleans was due to the country's structural racism. And she took part in Occupy Wall Street, and she came out as a vegan, and she was in 2017. She was in D.C. for the Women's March on Washington. Like, she's constantly right where you need her to be. Fun fact, her brother is an NFL player for the Cleveland Browns and then the Detroit what? Lions. <laughs> Just wanted to throw that in because that's, that's a crazy. bonus piece of situation. Um, because I also think that that's a very interesting piece of information for black men. It is like one of those escapes mm -hmm. where it's like, this is where I can make it and people can respect me. But if I don't have my uniform on, then I can also be hunted down in the street and murdered yep. for jogging. Yeah. So crazy. She's been mentioned in so many songs, movies, books, and plays and written so many books and done so many speeches that I obviously can't list them all. In 2019, though, a woman named Julie Dash, who was the first black female director uh, to have a theatrical release with the film Daughters of Dust in the U.S., announced that she would be directing a film based on Davis's life. Now, I can't find this film, but I found some articles about the film. Okay. And I think it may not have come out yet because 1919 is... Or, 2019 is when it was announced. So if you were going to film in 2020, like that, yeah, it's a everything is so backed up. Well, especially I'm sure there's a this is pro, like there's so many people she interacts with and so many like large <laughs> groups and I'm sure it's like that's a really crazy film. Making like, a film me. about her life is going to be nuts. Mm -hmm. And there are so many. Like when I tried to look it up, there are because every 
Fil- like films about Malcolm X bring her up. Films about yeah. Grace Lee Boggs brings her up. Films mm-hmm. about the 60s. Films about Alabama. Like, so she's just everywhere. She is currently living with her partner, Gina Dent, and just being a scholar. There you go. And that, <laughs> so far, is the story of Angela Davis. Very interesting. <laughs> Quite a ride. A very interesting ride. Wow. Yeah, I did not know any of that stuff about um, the Soledad case. Yeah. That's very interesting. I, um, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of cool things that I didn't know about her. And a lot of, um, I don't know, I think she's a person who uh, people don't give the right for her to change her mind a lot. Yeah. And I feel like she's like, I'm growing too. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, was I hanging out with Fidel Castro for a while? Yeah. But, like, would I do that now? No. You I know mean, what I'm so saying? Barbara Walters. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? It's like I do. I think um she's a person who in- maybe would encourage people to be like grow with your studies, grow with your activism and uh, I don't well, think she stops learning or speaking, which I love. Yeah, and it's I mean it's why I named the cocktail Bold Justice. I think yeah. when you're an activist, you have to make bold strokes or nobody's yeah. going to listen to you mm-hmm. and sometimes your strokes are going to be shit. Yeah. Like, they're not going to work. Yeah, sometimes they won't hold water a couple years down the road. Yeah. But, like, you just got to keep going. You have to keep going. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, she just keeps going. That's great. Uh, (laughs) Well, everybody, we're going to go get another drink and then talk about Annie. And we'll be right back. Bye-bye. back with part two brand new cocktail it's bubbly it's fall and next week is the last of our 15 week series i know which seems like it has flown by even though we took that two week break for your wedding yeah it's yeah it i totally agree like we started with the qe2 episode and it feels like that was yesterday yeah i it's so funny because i feel like in a weird way since we've been doing so many really famous women like it has gone by a lot quicker (laughs) not as hard to do the research (laughs) no because you actually have sources for your person (laughs) yeah and i've been talking about it for a while but i actually did send out thank you thanksgiving stickers to (gasps) all of our patrons so everybody's getting two stickers in the mail um and they're assorted so very fun i feel like there was a there's a couple people that i was like this sticker suits them yeah like for more like i picked a couple floral ones and like that's nice misty's had like a like there was like a women in stem sticker oh, that's cool. yeah so i like tried on something yeah like, i was like it was just like rosie the riveter and i was yeah. like everybody loves this yeah <laughs> the future's female yes it is perfect um so tell me what i'm drinking this looks and smells delicious Okay, so this is called the Star Mapper. Um, it is apple brandy, spiced rum, peach butter. Uh, you can also use apple butter or pear butter. Um, I was going to buy apple butter, but it's the day before Thanksgiving, so I was not even going to go close to the store. Mm. Um, and then cinnamon, and you shake it all together, and then you top it with champagne, and you garnish it with an apple. So cheers. Cheers. Clink. <laughs> Mm, it tastes like mm. fall. It tastes it like fall. Oh, very good. I love it. Mm. Yeah. 
That's tasty. I like it so much. <laughs> I'm drink it all day. Mm. Mm. Delightful. I also just like love like a jam in a cocktail. I do too. It's so like nice. A, like a thing. I don't know if it's. I think it's doing a pretty good job of not settling at the bottom. I yeah, no, no, no. Tell, it's not. It's not too heavy. I mean, it yeah. will in the next couple of minutes, but the first couple yeah. sips are great. Yeah. Okay, so what do you know about Annie Jump Cannon? So I know she's a really famous female scientist. Uh Uh-huh. And I know that she, I don't think, maybe discovered, but she definitely, like, plotted where a lot of stars. Yeah. And I'm just going to say random words. Supernovas? (laughs) Galaxies? Misty, this is all about you. Yeah. There are, I know that, like, her... Either discoveries or the things she wrote down are in the hundreds, right? I mean, hundreds of thousands. Okay. So <laughs> she, like, I know that she found so many things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's, and that's pretty much it. Good. Um, yeah. So I do apologize because, like, I there, there were a lot of things that people were saying when I was doing the research. And I was like, I don't understand what you're saying. No, just like my research. It's it a, was we're just really we difficult. Okay. It was like, well, you know, because like the stars got separated, you know, into their photometric spectrums and then their temperatures. And I was like, you just know <laughs> the words. I mean, actually, I don't even know the words that you're saying. You just talked like the scientist on The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> Professor Fink. I yeah. know. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this is really difficult. Um, so... I'm very about I'm sorry Misty I'm sorry but I got a lot of this from womenshistory.org um website stuff you missed in history class podcast and wikipedia perfect yes so Annie Jump Cannon was born on December 11th 1863 in Dover Delaware she was the eldest of three children Joe Biden Uh (laughs) uh-huh I do get excited when people are from Delaware because I feel like I spend a lot of my life in Delaware. Right. Because <laughs> it's like so close to us. And it's like Delaware. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's so tiny and so forgotten. But I just, I, I love Delaware. So yeah. anyways. Good state. Um, she was the eldest of three children born to Wilson Cannon, a Delaware shipbuilder. He also owned a farm and he was a state senator. <laughs> he did a lot of things. Did it all. He really did. Um, But he was really famous for switching political parties in protest of Delaware wanting to secede from the Union. He was like, absolutely not. Cool. So wait, this is 18-something then, 40... 1863 is Mm. when she's born, but this is his second wife. So his second wife is Mary Jump. That's Annie's mom. So he was married before and actually had four children with his first wife. Oh, man. But she died in 1859. Okay. So, 1862, he marries Mary, and Annie was their first child together. Right. Now, the first great thing about Annie is her mom. Mary was not a traditional Victorian mother. She was really interested in math and astronomy and made sure to pass this down to her daughter. They put glass prisms on a candelabra so that rainbows would appear all over their house. And they created their own observatory in the attic where they would spend hours every night identifying constellations and reading books on astronomy by candlelight. I mean, so what? I watched Shit's Creek with my right. daughter. <laughs> <laughs> they loved it. 
but apparently Wilson, the dad, was not a huge fan, but simply because he was worried about them burning the house down, he was like, you're up in the middle of the night with all these candles in the attic. Like, <laughs> Oh, so he wasn't mad that no, they were educated. No, 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 no. He wasn't mad at all about the education factor. It was just this the is fire not hazard. This is not a safe situation. He's like, you're in the drafty <laughs> attic with all these papers and... Perfect. In the middle of the night. What a dad move. So he's like, turn down the thermostat. Exactly. And he was like, every night when we came down and the house hadn't burned down, he was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> That's cute. So Mary also taught Annie how to run a household and specifically how to organize a household and its finances, mm. which was good for Annie's uh, sense of independence. And it also helped her a lot later in life. When, you know, she was living on her own and she was tasked with organizing really large-scale things like stars. <laughs> so, in 1880, Annie graduated from Wilmington Conf- Conference Academy, uh, which was a Methodist preparatory school in Delaware. And then she started college at Wellesley College, which <gasps> is a very prestigious yes. women's college in Massachusetts. We need a chart of how many we of our really women went do. there. Um, which I wrote is also the alma mater of Hillary Clinton and many other famous women. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you did. Uh, So even though um, the school was only five years old when she went there, it was already the place to be for someone like Annie because Sarah Frances Whiting, an early advocate for women in STEM, had established a physics laboratory at Wellesley, which was something typically only men's universities had. And after Annie's time there, Whiting also established an observatory at the college. She was just constantly expanding the options for girls who studied there. In 1862, while Annie was in school, something bright appeared in the sky. It was the Great Comet of 1882. And this is one of the brightest comets to ever be seen from Earth. So it's not Halley's Comet? Nope, nope, not Halley's Comet, but so not hale so it's not like circulating. No, no. It just went by and she saw it. Yep. Cool. And this thing was so bright that you could see it every night for months. Months. Wow. And it was so, on its, in its brightest, brightest peak, you could see it during the day. That's how bright this thing was. And this was just a great opportunity for Annie who would get up every morning with Sarah Francis Whiting and other students to observe the comet. So it's just like a cool coincidence that she is studying astronomy and physics at this, like, really monumental, like, natural phenomenon. Oh, and are they, like, they're, like, tracking it at yeah. all? Okay, Yeah, they're cool. tracking it. They're studying it. Yeah, they're doing everything they can with, you know, the instruments let's, they have at the let's time. Let's graph this bit. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1884, she graduates with a degree in physics as valedictorian of her <gasps> class. Oh. Mm-hmm. But I think to many people's surprise, she just went back to Delaware. She went home. She helped her family out with the household. She played the organ at church, and she tutored local kids for 10 years. She just went home and didn't do science. A decade. I feel that so hard. <laughs> so hard I feel that. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. You just graduate and then you're like, well, I worked really hard for this. I need a break. I need a break. So she took a 10-year break. <laughs> no. She, <laughs> she took 10 gap years. Yeah. Now, there were a couple of things that were going on at the time. Uh, number one is that she fell ill, possibly oh. with scarlet fever, and she lost her hearing. 
In both ears? Yeah. Total hearing. So no one is quite sure when exactly it happened. Some people say it happened when she was at Wellesley. Some say it happened when she was home. And we're also not sure how severe the hearing loss was. Some people say she was nearly completely deaf. And other sources say that she just needed a hearing aid when attending concerts or lectures. So, like, it's what a weird thing. is she going thing. to? <laughs> it's a very weird thing how we have no idea how deaf she was. But she is this people that people in the deaf, this person that people in the deaf community look to is kind of like an icon of, like, she was hearing impaired for sure. And yet she was a super accomplished scientist. Right. She's a person living with a disability. We yeah. know that. Yeah. And at, it's just amazing. And at a time where, like, the best hearing aids they had were, like, literal like horns and stuff coming out of the ear oh my gosh. accommodations <laughs> were poor to say the least yeah exactly uh but i did watch a video on early hearing aids and there was a really cool one that i've never seen before where it's like a piece of something i don't know i forget what it was called i think it was like filament or something and you literally it was like a like a fan like a church fan like a square church fan oh like a box fan yeah yeah and you literally put it in your mouth and you hold it there and the other person speaks and the vibrations of their voice hit the, the, the thing and you can get it. I don't know how That's it amazing. works. That's amazing. I was watching it and I was like, I don't understand this. I, so, I mean, but that, I mean, that's what science does. Like somebody can figure that shit out. Not yeah. me. Yeah. Not you. No, definitely not me. Them. Um, but yeah, I, it was really cool. So I would, it was just neat. So anyways, <laughs> so, um, she never learned sign language, uh, but she did learn how to lip read really well. But the other thing you need to know, um, is that the hearing loss and her being back at home and taking care of her family wasn't stopping her from doing what she wanted because Annie loved to travel. And that's another thing she was doing during this time. In 1892, she went all over Europe where she explored her other hobby, photography. And this is some early-ass photography. What did cameras <laughs> even look like back then? Those are the ones that you, like, had a big box and a screen and a... I'll tell you. Tell me. So some say that she went there to photograph a big solar eclipse that was happening, but that wasn't true. You couldn't see that particular solar eclipse eclipse from Europe. You could only see it in like the Pacific Hemisphere or something like that. Mm. Um, She was just having a good time. And you can actually still see the photographs that she took with her Blair box camera, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's like a huge box (laughs) with film inside. So it's, not quite as travel worthy as like the brownie cameras that would come kind of shortly after. Um, but it wasn't as crazy as, you know, like the accordion style cameras with like the soot and the poof and all that. <laughs> um, this isn't Lady and the Tramp. You just painted so, such a vivid picture yeah. <laughs> for me. I appreciate it. I don't know. I felt like I told you a lot of what it wasn't. Uh, well, I can but... picture somewhere in between the brownie and the poof. Accordion. Yeah. So it was, it literally just looks like a wooden box okay. with like a bunch of holes in it. Mm-hmm. It just looked crazy. I don't know how she operated this thing. Um, but after she returned to the U.S., she uh, famously attended the Chicago World's Fair. And I say famously because because the, <laughs> everybody was there. But everybody we've ever done was I know. there. It was at the Chicago World's Fair. It was ridiculous. But 
her appearance was notable because the Blair Camera Company used something she wrote as a souvenir for people to buy. So while she was traveling, she was going from Spain and going into Spain and Italy. They happened to be celebrating the 400th anniversary of Columbus's infamous trip. <laughs> and exactly. Um, so she was in Spain and Italy and then coming to Chicago. We're like, I think people forget the Chicago World's Fair was called the Columbian Expedition. It was celebrating this event. Like every World's Fair was celebrating something like that. Like the next one in St. The St. Louis World's Fair was celebrating Lewis and Clark's journey. Well, like, that I'm cool with. Yeah. Minorly. Minorly, yeah. <laughs> with some caveats. Because What's-His-Face was, like, super cool to, like, yeah. suck away mm-hmm. and, like, had babies with her, like, yeah. took care of her babies or whatever. But, yeah, no. I'm not okay with this. No, not okay with this. But, so, since this whole kind of year and her journeys were kind of wrapped up in Columbus, because she was literally in his hometown when they were, like, celebrating him, she wrote this book called in the footsteps of columbus which is problematic uh (laughs) but they printed it and they it was a whole book about her journeys it had her photographs in it and it was something people could buy at the world's fair which was pretty cool it Um, is cool and also we'll probably get into this with just the two of us but like columbus in hindsight is much worse than what we understand right now right yeah i don't know how much of the bullshit they knew back then i don't know if it, you know what i'm saying like well we didn't call men out for rape that's mm-hmm, for sure mm-hmm. you know what i mean like or we didn't we didn't like think that the murder of indigenous people was a problem or no. the enslavement of indigenous people was a problem so no definitely didn't i'm sure that she didn't have the same understanding of what was happening or yeah. if she did she couldn't speak out against it no exactly publicly no definitely not but in the midst of all this, her mother dies at the age of 54. That's so young. Yeah. Annie that. is devastated. Yeah. She is feeling very lost. And it kind of takes this tragedy for her to look around and ask herself some tough questions. She's like, what am I doing with my life? She's like, I was valedictorian of my class in physics like what what am i doing i need to get back there I need to, like marie curie that shit yeah. yeah so she goes back to wellesley and she starts studying again with sarah francis whiting for her graduate degree and she also gets a job there she's a junior physics teacher so she's doing that and then in 1895 she decides to enroll as a special student at radcliffe college for women which was kind of like harvard's little place for women (laughs) but the reason she wanted to be there was because harvard had a bitchin telescope and that's what she wanted to do she wanted to look at the stars if you're gonna be in massachusetts you may as well be there may as well be there and it was here where she gained the attention of edward pickering who hired her as an assistant in the astronomy department wait Mm -hmm. isn't that where wilhelmina fleming Mm -hmm. (laughs) worked It's all coming back to me now. So this was a prized position that usually went to a man, but Pickering had given it to two women in a row, which people weren't pleased about. Right. And soon she also became... Sponsor, male sponsorship. mm -hmm, One of the famed Harvard computers. She also took part in some of the first x-ray experiments during this time, which was really cool. And... You may remember Pickering from our Wilhelmina Fleming episode. He famously told his male astronomers that his Scottish maid could do a better job than them 
And he hired her, and she did because she was a genius. <laughs> Go back and listen to our episode on her because it was so fun. She discovered the horse head nebula, and she's incredible. And we saw her grave in Boston, producer <sighs> and I. Very cool. Went. Yeah. <laughs> so this began a pattern for Edward Pickering. He hired a lot of women, uh, especially as human computers to finish the Henry Draper catalog, which was basically a map of every star in the sky. And he was also working to identify the life cycles of about 200 variable stars. Don't know what a variable star is. I don't know what makes that different from another star. So anyways, <laughs> this was an extremely laborious task, which took a lot of patience, which is why a lot of men didn't want to do it. And frankly, why they were incapable of doing it. They literally thought that this work was like beneath them because it was a lot of like complex equations that like took time. And they're like, I don't have time for that. I have to be doing other things. Um, <laughs> so these kinds of jobs went to the women. Um, but there were a few other reasons too. On the negative side, Pickering's budget for these projects was really thin. So he could pay women less. They earned 25 cents an hour for the work that men did uh, when they made 50. Mm. But on the positive side, women could actually do some of this work from home because a big portion was simply observing the stars and recording their brightness, which made it easier for women with families to do it, which was a pretty cool option. Like, I didn't know there were any women who had the option to work from home. No, I mean, and it's the biggest reason that women didn't work from home for the longest time. Yeah. Like, how do I take care of my literal children? Yeah. And it's cool because, like, they're recording stars' brightness. So it's like when your kids are asleep. So, like, the kids aren't even really bothering them. Oh, my God. It's your alone time. I know. Like, have a glass of wine and record how bright a star is. Uh, But on the negative side, they also weren't allowed to come to the observatory at night because it was too dangerous for upper-class white women to be out at night while many women of color were already doing that. I feel like we pointed that out in our Rosie the Riveter episode where it was like women of color have been working for a long ass time and like not been acknowledged as members of the workforce. Right. And yeah. I feel like that's happening again. It's like, you know, women of color have well, women been. women of color and poor women. Yeah, exactly. Um, like, and I mean, even like an Irish woman is white, but like is disregarded. It's like, you're a maid. You can be out late. Nobody mm-hmm. cares. And then when they get murdered, it's like, oh, but you were a sex worker. And it's exactly. like, actually, I wasn't. I was actually, just like walking home from work. Um, and even if I was, I shouldn't be murdered. Exactly. Um, but yet you're right. Like when the prized rich white woman is doing something, it's like, wow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) how it's like amazing what a breakthrough (laughs) can't believe it Uh, oh look at me yeah (laughs) been here uh but on the last positive side uh pickering did want to dispel negative stereotypes about women he actually was a a big advocate for women like a really like, good guy i don't want to make this seem like he's an asshole like i do think he really believed in women and he wanted to show people that women were capable of working in the sciences like he was a big advocate also imagine like running a lab and being like i need warm bodies yeah to fill these seats yeah i don't give a fuck who it is and like i think the other like appealing thing to him about women was he's like these women are doing it because they fucking love it. They're doing it because in their, like a lot of these women, like there was no option not to like, right. they were like, I love this so much that I want, 
I like, I can't even imagine my life without this, right. you know, this is all that's keeping me going. Yeah. Let me look at this asteroid, please. Yeah. Or as like, I think a lot of men were like, okay, like, you know, this is it. This is what's going to get me prestige and money and like a good title and like a big house and whatever. You know what I'm saying? Oh. Like, that's when I, I like, I don't know that for sure. I'm sure a lot of men, it was their life's passion, but I also think there's a certain um, expectation of men to just go into these fields. So it seems like for the boys, it was like, ugh, nights and weekends. And for the women, it was like, nights and weekends? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so while Annie was working there alongside Wilhelmina Fleming, I can't even believe that they were there at the same time. Oh, my gosh. I hope they had cocktails together. <gasps> Me I, too. They did. Me too. New, they did. New fan fiction. Fan fiction theory. <laughs> and wait till you hear who their third was. <laughs> Stop. Stop. You're going to lose your mind. I will. Oh, God. Okay. So <laughs> while she's working there, there came to be a disagreement on how to classify stars. There were a few systems already in place, but they were really complicated and they didn't make much sense. And like, you know, they were just like not efficient. You mean men made them up but they didn't mm. work? <laughs> <laughs> so Annie decides, I'm going to fix this problem. So she divides the stars into their spectral classes, which are O, B, A, F, G, K, M. So she's using these like letters rather than the Roman numerals, which were being used before. She's like, Roman numerals are so confusing. Why would we ever use them? <laughs> <laughs> we're literal Americans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and she also paired them with colors. So she was really into prisms, as we talked about so before. So is this like the white star, the red star, the blue star? Is that I where believe we get that? so. Oh, fine. I think. Okay. Again, there was stuff about colors. More fan and theories. Heat and More light. fan theories. I will say her scheme was based on the strength of the Balmer absorption lines. Cool. I don't know what that means. Say it out loud. Okay. But Balmer I do know. Absorption. So from what I was saying, so like from what I was understanding, which I know we've talked about in previous episodes, it's like when you photograph a star, there are different like lines of colors right. which show how hot it was. So like, and then she broke it down into like the prism. So like, we all know like the blue flame is the hottest. So she was like, well, look at this flame. blue. Yeah. So she's like, <laughs> look at this color over here. She goes, that's burning. We know at 40,000 degrees, but she goes, look at this color down here. That's only burning at 4,000 degrees. So that's kind of how they were making up like the composition of the stars. So you have like the white, blue, purple over here. You have like the red, orange over here. I think. Yeah. And then like green in the middle. I think green, yellow in the middle. Sure, why not? Listen, that's what I we also understand of the color spectrum. Roy G. Biv. Roy G. Biv is all I'm gonna say about that. Okay. Send so. me that ultraviolet <laughs> shit. <laughs> so, with her new classification system, she became the most efficient star classifier, and she. Ended up being able to classify three stars a minute, which is insanely fast. She, like, made the best Excel spreadsheet in all history. Pretty much. Oh, my gosh. Pickering once said, Ms. Cannon is the only person in the world, man or woman, who can do this work so quickly. <laughs> which is probably how she ended up classifying around, like, 350,000. Some accounts even say 400,000 stars. That's so many. <laughs> 
I don't even, I don't even understand. I can't even, I mean, I live in the city, so I can't see 400,000 stars. And I know she has a telescope. Yeah. I get it. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I don't, like, sometimes I forget. Like, when I go, like, to a rural area, like, how many actual stars there are. When Casey and I were in New Hampshire, I was blown away. I was like, the amount of stars in the sky is actually outrageous. I'm just, I've never been used to that. Like, and then you feel so small. Yeah. So small. Like, in a great way. Yeah, in a really good way. Like, I remember Maura telling me that, like, she was like, you can see the Milky Way some nights. And I'm like, I don't even know what like, that I means. I can see clouds sometimes. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can see like the North Star and see... occasionally Orion's belt. <laughs> and like, I can definitely see the Big Dipper. Right. That's for sure. Cassiopeia, we can see if we're in, at like the West Virginia cabin. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's like a that's like a very common uh, constellation to see in Maryland. Yeah. The stars are so bright, and it's only like six of them. Yeah. I also um I. My whole life, I could... Mary, stop it. Mary, you're being... <laughs> the dog, my dog is, is being knocking my cocktail over. <laughs> but I, I remember being a kid and literally every night being like, there's Orion's belt. And then as an adult, I was like, that's not possible. It only comes out certain times the of the year. In so the it's my birthday. <laughs> He's out right but now. But I could always find it. Um, three stars in a row. Three stars in a row, stars baby. <laughs> so anyways... I'm not an astronomer. Surprise, surprise. Nor am I. So, <laughs> and if she was using a magnifying glass, because basically, like, you know, they were using these big telescopes and then taking pictures of the stars and then observing the pictures and, like, on these spectrometers kind cool. of thing. Cool, 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 So, she could classify stars down to the ninth magnitude. Pretty crazy. Cool. That was around. <laughs> for uh, reference, that was 16 times fainter than the human eye could see. Wow. Like, I don't understand. Um, and what also makes her work extra impressive is how accurate she was. So it's one thing throwing out star classifications left and right, but hers were accurate. She's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't just do it. She did I it feel right. like such an idiot. <laughs> so she makes this monumental, like, discovery, you know, thing. And <laughs> I want to call it, like, because it's more than a discovery. She established a system. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really important. Important, but I don't know how to say how important it is. <laughs> but what I can say is, like, in a few years, it became the standard used around the world. It became very quickly, like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> and it's still used today. Astronomy students still use her system. That's so and good. the mnemonic device that is with this system is, oh, be a fine girl, kiss me. That's oh. how astronomy students memorize it which is good i was trying to think of the mnemonic device the other day of um the uh scales. class oh, no, no the scales on the thing and i was like yeah it's like you know like all tall good boys drink milk <laughs> casey was like that is incorrect i was like no 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 it's it's something about tall boys drinking milk and he goes no it's not and then there's also the one for, like, Kingdom Phylum class system. You know what I mean? Yes. And I don't... Kiss me. King, I don't know. 
There's all a lot of kissing going on, but people, I did remember it was people love kissing. Every good boy does fine. That was actually what the scale was, but I put the milk in there somewhere. <laughs> I love that it took Beyonce to be like, "That's not correct." T isn't a note, <laughs> nor is M. <laughs> Golden humor. Golden. It, it, yeah. It, <laughs> it was a wild night in the Prewood household. T isn't a note is These my the <laughs> new favorite quote ever. <laughs> <laughs> but she didn't just stay in the lab hovering over her pictures of stars and her equations. <laughs> Kissing milk boys. Uh, <laughs> Tall boys. <laughs> Kissing milk. Uh, Annie made sure to travel around looking for exciting natural phenomena, such as eclipses, <laughs> but also just, you know, making time for photography and fun. So she is, tr- she just like, yeah, every chance she got, she was going on a trip. She was traveling. She was doing something fun, which is pretty cool. Like uh, but in 1911, Wilhelmina Fleming died and Annie was nominated for her position as the curator of astronomical photography at Harvard. But even though a woman had assumed this position for over a decade, the president of Harvard was like, another woman? Are you kidding me? Two in a row? Okay. He goes, it was funny the first time, (laughs) but the second time? Pickering, you're a nut. So it was just like very typical, but... Pickering didn't care that the president didn't like it. He was like, she's most suited for the job, so she's going to do it. Like, (laughs) she made the classification system that the whole, like, Henry Draper catalog is now being, like, based off of. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm going to put her in charge of it. Um, But, so she got the job, but the university was being really petty, and they were like, okay, well, she has the title, But we're not really going to consider her an official staff member. So she didn't get paid like a staff member of Harvard. And she was not listed in the Harvard directory. Typical. Right. But now she's in charge of the Henry Draper catalog of stars. And she publishes, I believe, nine issues of the catalog. Mm. Lots and lots of stars. In 1918, she received her first honorary doctorate from the University of Delaware. In 1921, she received another honorary doctorate from the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. And in 1925, she got one from Wesley, Wellesley, and another one from Oxford. <laughs> and fun fact, she was the first woman who received an honorary doctorate from Hawk, Oxford, which is pretty cool. That is cool. She received a lot of honorary doctorates and some other honorary awards, like an honorary membership to the Royal Astronomical Society, because women couldn't be full members, so they could only make her an honorary member. So it's just basically them being like, we like you, but you can't come in the clubhouse. Like Condoleezza Rice (laughs) and the Masters. So I felt the other day, standing outside of the Maryland 
men's club or whatever the hell it is, the Maryland Club. Do you know what this building is? The fancy one downtown. So there's is the Engineers Club yeah, and the Maryland Club. The Engineers Club is beautiful on the outside. Never been in. Never been in. The Maryland Club is the same way. And they have like a, some kind of outdoor veranda that I'm obsessed with that I could see from the street. So anyways, try to figure out how to get in. You can't even look at like the restaurant menu without being a member. It's really upsetting. Wow. So anyways. I'm going to have to buy a lot of memberships. So she's doing all this. Oh, my gosh. Jake should totally be a part of the Maryland Society. I know. Do I know. it. Do I know. It. I know. Do it. Okay. Do it. We're going to do it. Have your 30th wedding anniversary there. That would be so weird. <laughs> <laughs> Who celebrates their 30th wedding anniversary? Why did you say the 25th? <laughs> it's so strange. <laughs> weirdest thing you've ever said <laughs> i just said good tall boys drink milk that's no. not the weirdest thing i've no, ever no, said no. good tall boys <laughs> drinking milk is like very normal <laughs> 30th wedding anniversary that's bananas <laughs> who does that okay so anyway she's a part of all these things honorarily <laughs> and in 1922 she takes a really fun trip down to Arequipa, Peru because Harvard had an observatory there. So she's down in Peru. She's 58 years old. She spends her nights photographing the stars and her days walking around the like town and exploring Peru. She better. She wrote to her friend while she was there, I expect to be an athlete when I return to Cambridge <laughs> because there was so much just like walking and climbing and scrambling. She was like, there are ladders everywhere. I don't know where these ladders were, but I bet she'd be great at cruise. Lots of ladders. I bet she would be. She'd get a full crew scholarship <laughs> to Cambridge. <laughs> to Cambridge. Um, she also wrote about a man she was traveling with. Ooh. Uh, no, not oh. that. He basically was reprimanding her and saying that women shouldn't be doing the things that she was doing because it wasn't woman's work. Ooh, shut up. <laughs> I hate that guy. Yeah, he's the worst. Bring me Pickering back. She goes, I can do it all. I mean, except good, get good plates of faint spectra. <laughs> same girl i, I mean, guess i mean i i, can I also that. can't get good good plates, plates of faint, faint spectra, spectra. <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what that even means that misty can um misty can you get it can you get it the faint spectra <laughs> good plates of faint spectra in 1913 she took some time off from the observatory to go to europe with her sister again traveling for fun and then in 1923, she goes on another vacation to Catalina Island in California, uh, where she got to hang out with astronomers from the Griffith, Griffith Observatory. And she just went on like a huge West Coast tour of observatories and astronomy hangs. And she got to like meet a bunch of astronomers from the other side of the country, which was really cool. Good for her. Yeah. And in 1923, a budding astronomer named... Cecilia Payne. Oh my God! <laughs> Joined the Harvard Computer. Shut up! And the two got along swimmingly. Shut up. Cecilia built off of Annie's work and, of course, discovered that the stars were comprised mainly of hydrogen and helium, which I just. I love because I feel like every. It's like, you know, you go from Wilhelmina Fleming to Annie Jim Cannon to Cecilia Payne 
And instead of them all arguing that they're the correct one, they're building off of each other's work. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it seems like such a collaborative environment to me, which I think is really incredible. It is. Um, I just love it. So another thing to mention about Annie is that she was a lifelong suffragist and a member of the Women's Party. And in 1929, she was chosen as one of the greatest living American women (laughs) by the League of Women Voters. Where is my invitation to this group? I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know. I want to be. Living American (laughs) women. Please. (laughs) Me? Come on. My old Davis. In 1935, she created the Annie J. Cannon Prize for the women of any country whose contributions to the science of astronomy are the most distinguished. Wow. The first recipient of this award was Cecilia Payne. And in 1938, she was made the official director of astronomy at Harvard, which was called the William C. Bond Astronomer. She had been doing the work for years, but now she was an official employee of Harvard in the directory and everything. (laughs) But the greatest part about all of this, though, is that a woman had never had this kind of title before at Harvard. (laughs) So the letter, like they literally didn't even have the lettering for it. So they just said, dear sir, congratulations on your new position. I love it. <laughs> they didn't like retype it. Dear, no, ma- didn't, dear mom. Didn't re- didn't type it. I also think because she was single, like they didn't know what to call her. <laughs> Speaking on that, she never married or had any children, but she hosted guests frequently and had plenty of parties and traveled a lot. She lived a full life living with her sister in a house right near Harvard. Where they, which they called Star Cottage. People just adored her for not only her bright personality and incredible talent, but of course her work ethic. In 1940, she officially retired, but kept working <laughs> until right before her death. She died on April 13, 1941 in Cambridge, Massachusetts at the age of 77. Tributes from all over the science world came in mourning the loss of a legend that many called the census taker of the SARS. I feel like I said SARS. It's stars. No, I heard it. (sighs) It was good. Census taker of of the the stars. stars. But I think Cecilia Payne said it best when she said, it is nearly impossible for us to imagine the astronomical world without her. She has not only been a vital living person, but an institution. The scientific world has lost something more than just a great scientist. And that is Annie Jump Cannon. Oh! I know. It's actually kind of... I really like that she's bookended by two women we've already done. It's an interesting thing, too, because I feel like sometimes we, like, work backwards to women or forwards, you know, being like, okay, here's it going this way, but we've never sandwiched one, you know, which is, like... We know Wilhelmina Fleming. We know Cecilia Payne. And now we get to kind of this middle person. It's the joint. She's the joint. She is the joint in between them. Because I think that she, like, fine-tooled Wilhelmina's work. And then 
which allowed Cecilia to thrive and flourish. Right. You know, Absolutely. which I think is really great. So, oh my God. And like, cheers to Pickering. Like, really? Yes. Honestly. So, we need to talk about these two women in a little segment we like to call Just the Two of Us. Okay. I was blown away by their love of travel. Yes. I think like, I have a love of travel. Um, and then I often feel, as most people do, tied down by family and job and kids and this and that. But I try even for a one-day weekend, even for a day trip to somewhere. Like, I'm willing to drive three hours at 6 a.m. and go somewhere and then come home if I can just do it. If you can do it. And, and they I, just loved it. They just did it, which I think is incredible for two very busy women. Busy. Like, and I think it's interesting that they did it for all reasons, too. Like, they were traveling for business and education mm. and also for pleasure. Because I think that people who travel for work sometimes can kind of, like, get burnt out on it, you yes. know? And yes. they were just like, no, I'm also still going to go and do the things that I want, which is an incredible just statement of I'm going to take care of myself, which I thought was really cool. And also some things that people were like, oh, they did this thing for business. And it's like, mm, no, that was for pleasure. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, also I actually like, didn't go there for any reason at all. <laughs> like neither of these girls were kicking out of their coverage either. They just like were like, I graduated. I have a super high degree. And like, this is who I am. And I can take a break or I can do yeah. work or I can do this or I can do that. But like, I am certified to be here. Yeah. So watch me. Yeah. And I think it's cool that they are certified in one thing, but then they have these other interests and these other things pulling them. Like I was thinking about how Annie Jim Cannon is also a published photographer. Right. Like she is a photographer. She knew how to work this camera. That was not an easy thing back then. Like right. that is a really difficult task. She is well versed in photography and science. And I feel like that way with um with Angela that like yes, I know what I am talking about on a very academic level, but I also know what I'm talking about on a very personal level. I'm going to talk to you about the like I'm going to get my hands dirty, which some academics choose not to do. It's like, I'm going to write about it all I want. And I'm going to sell my kids, my students, this book for $100 exactly. and just call it a day. But she was doing the ac activism within the academics. So like she was practicing what she preached, which I can really appreciate. Well, and I loved that you said that the hindsight of the Chicago World Fair yeah. celebrating Columbus was so problematic because I think there are things that Angela Davis did that are problematic. Yeah, people she associated with are problematic. There are people that she should have publicly condemned. And again, I don't know or understand philosophy to the level that she does. But I can tell you that Fidel Castro and Jim Jones are bad people. Yeah. So, and, and like, not all, I, I'm sure they have done things that are fine, but mm -hmm. in general, they've caused more harm than good. Yeah. So then I have this question of like, what is the, where's the connection that 
you needed to make. And maybe it's that women have to make those connections, specifically people like Angela Davis, who are black gay women. Yeah. Like, what what can she do when well, people don't even want her? Yeah. Well, and I also think that there's a really important connection there between uh, going back and not, not saying I made a mistake, but saying I learned more than I, I know, I know more now than I did back then. I feel like we see that with the COVID thing, you know, mm. like we've been in this pandemic for quite a long time now. And in the beginning, like they were like, yeah, like, you know, make sure you sanitize surfaces and do this. And then they figured out, they're like, oh, actually it doesn't actually travel that way. So that's less important now than like, Wearing masks and doing this. Like, we're, and people were like, well, you just can't make up your mind. And it's like, no, it's not, I can't make up my mind. It's that I'm learning more information. I'm changing my actions based on that information. You Mm. know, it's like, if we were still basing things off of solely Wilhelmina Fleming's work, we wouldn't be going anywhere. We wouldn't be moving forward. Right. And I feel like that allotment is sometimes given to things like that because it's something I don't understand. I don't understand the science of stars. So, like, I can totally see that, like, oh, yeah, we thought that, like, each star was made up of different buh, elements. XYZ. XYZ. And, uh, but now, now that Cecilia Payne has come along, we realize that it's actually only these couple of elements. They're just burning in different degrees, you right. know? So it's like blue, red, green. It's like, okay. We see that based on the progression of all of their works. So why do we not have that same, I want to say, grace for people in social studies? You oh, know, like so Angela Davis ends in social studies. And like from her vantage point, she's like, yeah, Jim Jones is doing good work because why should she believe otherwise? Mm. We didn't know what he was doing behind the scenes until afterwards. Right. So it's like we right. judge her for that. But how could she have known? And wait, how could she have known to not contact these men in prison? Yeah. When she herself was wrongly imprisoned. Yeah. Exactly. And she is operating off of information that she believes to be true. She was put in jail for something she didn't do. Yeah. So then, of course, she's going to, like, talk to these other people. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I don't know. I just think it's interesting learning as we're going And I also think it's cool that these women are writing current curriculum. You know, like I was taught Angela Davis as a gender studies major. And scientists now, like astronomers now, are taught, you know, Annie's method, her classification system. And I just think it's really cool that, like, these women were writing the curriculum that we still use because every step of the process is important even the missteps well and i think the the most important thing that both of them teach us both annie and angela is that there might be a system in place but that doesn't mean you can't rewrite it yeah you might be the person Mm -hmm. that makes it better because both of them took steps that were like seen as crazy Mm -hmm. seen as not you know kosher and it's like you know what but you did something and now we all use it. Yeah. We can all do that. It's not like, oh, all of the research in the world happened in the 1800s. Yeah. I feel like that sometimes. <laughs> and it's like, well, what do I have left then? And it's right. like, what I have left is to actually fix what has been done. Yeah. No, exactly. 
And it's interesting, too, because I don't know. They weren't really appreciated in their time as much. Oh, interesting. Because yeah. I thought it was, there was a really interesting correlation between Angela Davis having to teach classes in secret because they couldn't put her on, like, the official class list. Same and then it. Annie... Not like being like, yeah, you do all the work of a Harvard, a Harvard professor. We can't teach, but we, we can't, pay can't you like that. actually pay you like that. We can't put you in the directory. Like, they are secret keepers of knowledge and like secret teachers, but they're not allowed to be on the books as that because yeah. the world wasn't ready for what they were saying. And I mean, how embarrassing is it when like, it's like somebody wants you for your knowledge, but the problem is that you're female or the yeah. problem is that you're black. Yeah. The, you know, it's really terrible to be like, this person's a visionary and yet we don't, we want them, but we don't want to associate with them. We exactly. don't want people to know that we want them. Yeah. Because then in the future, what they're doing is like bolstering their own game. They're mm-hmm. like in the future, it'll be like, oh, I hired them. Yeah. And that's not okay to play your cards later. Exactly. So it is, <laughs> I think it's so interesting that you bring that up because I do feel like there's a big divide in being like, oh no, we were cool back then. It's like, no, you weren't. Yes, she was teaching classes, but it was in secret. Like the students were well, that college like gave her an award recently. Like okay, that, and like shut the fuck. And up. again, there was a these women had too many awards and honorary things to even count, which is great. Awards are cool; they're really awesome. Maybe just like general respect, though. But just general respect is, I think, what both of these women were looking for. Yeah. <laughs> Or like maybe just listen to me when I talk and like don't call me crazy. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know. I just think um, I'm yeah. pretty impressed. I didn't expect to get this out of this. Let I me really tell like you, it. I really like it. <laughs> At I'm the really beginning, I was like, they both went to school in Massachusetts. Yeah. That was like all I was getting. But now, like in the conversation, like I don't know. I'm feeling really positive about this connection and uh well the truth is always the area between two conversations so true so on a t-shirt philosophy (laughs) listen to me talking truth (laughs) um okay Allie, are you ready to toast i am okay who would you like to toast this evening today i want to toast women who aren't afraid to be big to be bold to Mm. be wrong yes to change Yes. And I I'm, totally agree. I think it's so cool. Be big, be Cheers. bold, be long, and then change it. Mm-hmm. Who are you trying to toast? I'm going to toast women who work and play. I think the great story in between her career in science and her love of photography is just her existence as a world traveler. What other woman in the 1800s had been to... Spain and Italy and Catalina and all of these crazy places. Like, I just think that she's a great example of a woman who chooses to work hard and also takes personal time to enjoy her life. Work hard, play hard. Exactly. (laughs) Cheers. All right. Allie, what are you enjoying in pop culture this week? So I can't remember whether I promoted this or not, so I'm just going to do it again. <laughs> um, Jungle Cruise. 
Did okay. I, I don't know. Okay, so Jungle Cruise is a great Disney movie that I went. The girls one day, like six months ago, were like, I just want to go to the movie theater. Okay. And I was like, okay, so we just looked up what was out. Like, what Disney movie is out. Right. Like, like what's an appropriate movie <laughs> that, like, so we went and saw Jungle Cruise. And then we got home and we were like, Jake, dad producer. We need to, we're going to buy it on Disney Plus. Oh and he God. was like, no, you're not going to buy it. It's on Disney Plus for $30. We're just going to wait till it comes $30. out. $30. Because it's like, it's oh, like, I told it's like, it's yeah. like taking two people to the movies. I and, do understand And getting it. popcorn and this, that, and the other, whatever. So we were like, he was like, no, it's going to be free on like November 11th. We'll just like wait. And we, the three of us could <laughs> not ah! wait. So like what they're doing obviously is what they did with Pirates of the Caribbean where they took a ride Mm -hmm. and they made it a movie. And Katie, I saw the first 10 minutes and I was like, oh, this is kitschy. And then (sighs) it is Emily Blunt, of course. Love. I mean. Love her. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Love him. Of course. Paul Giovanni. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. And then it just was so cute and quippy and fun and i just it's now free on disney plus so if you have disney plus this is the time you're gonna sit home on thanksgiving weekend and just laugh and cry and have such a good time there are gay characters there are straight characters there are women there are men there are people of color there is gambling there is (laughs) death there are um indigenous people that like it's so good. I love it. <laughs> it's so good. I would highly suggest. And it's hard to suggest a kid's movie to adults because I think sometimes you want something, like, deeper. Mm, but I will say adults watch the kid's movies that they're familiar with all the time. Right. So this <laughs> is one that... How it- many adults watch Nightmare Before Christmas every fucking year? Right. And they should. And, and this should. is one and that it's worthy. is really... <laughs> really nice okay so i want everybody to watch jungle cruise and if i've already said that then just watch tiger king season two yeah okay, go ahead. <laughs> okay. it's funny because i also don't know if i've promoted this already but <laughs> we're we're there literally our brains are dead there is an instagram account that i follow mm-hmm. that i didn't follow at first i'm not even sure if i officially follow it but it appears on my feed mm-hmm. It is called The Catwalk Latino America. (laughs) It is the most beautiful Instagram account. It is all, like, just, like, really beautiful dresses. Oh, yeah? (laughs) And they'll do cool things. They'll be like, these are all the dresses that are, like, sheer and bejeweled that, like, people have worn on the red carpet. Like, which one do you like the best? But it's all in Spanish. (laughs) And they'll also be like, these are all the ones that like paired like red and pink, you know, which one is your favorite? And there are just, every time their picture, their posts pop up in my feed, like, God, that's beautiful. And I scroll through all the pictures every time. And it's just like a nice, I don't know, kind of break. And like, there are some dresses that come up a lot that I really love. Um, And I don't know. It's just like, um. If you want something beautiful and interesting to interrupt your feed of nonsense, mm. uh, the Catwalk Latino America, there was literally like something that was just popping up, and I think I followed them. Maybe I didn't even. 
but it's I all love, my it's on my feed and I love it. It's a great page. I love fashion art. I think yes. fashion art doesn't give the, get the same respect as uh-uh. different genres of art. Yeah, no, it doesn't. And like there is there, and it really has increased my appreciation. Like that outfit is a piece of art. Like right. that is insane. Get it? Get it? Get that it. they did that. Right. And like that is a ball gown, but it's a weird take on a tube top and a skirt but it's a ball gown and I can see that like <laughs> I don't know it's just really cool it's a great account so yeah I'd mm. recommend uh excellent and it's cool seeing like designers different takes on the same topic too like mm-hmm. again like mm-hmm. red and pink dresses was like a really interesting one Re- recently that's just like sticking in my mind where I'm like oh yeah all these different people had different takes on it and look what they did so oh my anyways. gosh the younger sister in 10 things I hate about you had a uh-huh. red and pink prom dress. Yes, she did. And I was always so interested in that because it was like a tube top and a skirt. Mm-hmm. Red and pink. Is that correct? It was. Oh, it yeah. totally was. I love that movie. So much. Bonus promo. That is <laughs> legit. I mean. Tiger King 2 and 10, th- 10 things I hate about you are your bonus Thanksgiving promos. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You have because so much to do tomorrow, guys. that is I watched that movie a lot. We watched it. We watched it with the girls recently, and they loved it. I mean, me and Marjorie, mm. me and sister, and the kids have been doing like the chick flick thing, but um, they really loved it. Yeah, it's so good. I mean, my first dance was the song that he sings to her at the soccer. I love you, baby. <laughs> so outrageous. Absolutely. Okay. We Fi- love you. We love you. Find us everywhere. <laughs> We're so many places. Um, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. <laughs> I don't know all the places. Instagram. You can find us everywhere. That's not the point. But you the can most- find us. Yeah. But the most important thing is to rate and review us. Oh, yeah. Friends, if you have one Christmas gift to give us, it is a positive review. <laughs> Or a Thanksgiving gift, however you decide to view it. Or a Hanukkah. Or a Hanukkah present. Present. Um, but yeah, but yeah, leave us a rate interview. It would really mean a lot. It means it shows us that people are actually listening because sometimes mm. I doubt it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, talk to us. Send us requests. We have a lot of requests that we're working through, um, and we're gonna get to them. I promise. It just takes a little bit. Um, because I'm not going to lie, you guys do find some people that do not have much information on Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, you guys are like <laughs> the worst. <laughs> Just kidding. They're super cool people that deserve a spotlight. And uh, and maybe we're going to be the first ones to give it to them. Maybe. I hope so. I hope so. And if you especially like us, you'll like us even more on Patreon. We do a special bonus little tidbit every week on Patreon, and we'll send you stuff sometimes, and it's super fun. So if you like the show and you want to pay for a drink every once in a while, head over to Patreon.com, Hearst Around the Rocks, and show your appreciation. Mm-hmm. But most of all, we want you to never forget that well-behaved women know how to properly close their cereal so that it doesn't get stale. Oh, they do. I know. I have some checks in my pantry that is questionable. I have kicks that are out of this <laughs> <world. laughs> But they rarely make history. Goodbye.
on the rocks. We are independently produced by 1986 Entertainment and proudly recorded in Baltimore, Maryland. If there's a woman in history you would like us to cover, you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com. You can also message us on Twitter or Instagram. We post all of our cocktail recipes on Tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us. See you next week. Bye.